hurricane season is here and forecasts are calling for an active season. How broadcast meteorologists are preparing to keep us safe from the storm and tracking hurricanes from the ground. How Mark Suddeth plans to do it this year. This is NTWC Live. Thank you, Alex, and good morning, everybody. Welcome to NTWC Live for, uh, gosh, it's already middle of June. It's almost July, hard to believe. It's uh, the 7th of June, seven days into the 2023 hurricane season. Last week, we were already tracking a system that fortunately was there, and poof, it was gone just like <laughs> that, um, which what we expect, and we do not look at hurricane models. 20 days in advance, no matter what you say, we're not going to do it, uh, but we will talk about what's going on this hurricane season. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, Matt Piotrowski is not able to be with us. He was on our slide as being with us, but uh, he's not able to join us today. But we do have Brad Travis, David Paul, and the one and only Mark Suddeth. So we'll get to all those guys in just a second. First, we want to thank our sponsors who make these shows a reality for us, USAA. USAA, thank you for all you do. Um, gosh, we, we can't say enough about USAA, just great things. And, and USAA has been part of this program since the very beginning. We appreciate that. The South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, South Padre Island is the host for the National Tropical Weather Conference. Make plans to join us again in April of 2024 back at the Marriott Courtyard Hotel right there on the beach on sunny South Padre Island. The Weather Company and Weather Boy, all a big part of what we do. Boy, the Weather Boy bringing in college students to the National Tropical Weather Conference and doing scholarships for college students to come and join us and, and learn from the best in the industry. So we appreciate everybody who's part of this. Uh, of course, with us today, as always, is Bill Reed, the former director of the National Hurricane Center. And Bill, I know you're going to do a tropical update a little bit later on because we don't have anything to talk about, but you can do it anyway. <laughs> we'll go from there. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Tim and everybody. Uh yeah, good to be good to be on and back again. Uh, uh, summer is starting to encroach. Is this prolonged spring pattern we've had down here along the Gulf Coast uh, uh, has lingered quite a while, much to uh, most of our pleasure because it keeps the uh, the heat away. But uh, summer is inevitable, and uh, it's that time of year where we force people to think about being prepared on on the storm. I like your comment about the twenty day forecast. I won't give you my. Uh, <laughs> 30-day outlook based on my roadkill study on the highways in Robinson County. But uh, <laughs> uh, today we're going to uh, have a, a fairly wide-ranging set of topics. Probably who knows where we'll wander off on that. But first, uh, I'll introduce our guest, uh, Brad Travis, Chief Meteorologist for WAFF in Huntsville, Alabama, as an AMS-certified broadcast meteorologist. Uh, David Paul, a Chief Meteorologist at WTVY in Dothan, Alabama. And uh, and Mark Suddeth, who uh, is 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 quite the entrepreneur at how to go in and, and remotely sense these things by deploying uh, stuff in advance of the hurricane, and he's made some really break interesting breakthroughs on how to do that in the in the many years that I've been following Mark. So we'll get to Mark in the second half of our uh, program, but the. Uh, uh, at the start here, we'll uh, we'll talk with the guys on the air. There, uh, one of the things for, uh, that I'd like to uh, hear is, uh, I guess I'll I'll hit Brad first. That uh, since you're uh, well inland from the coast, there, uh, uh, how, how do you try to get the 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 viewers uh, into the preparedness mode for the inland impacts of these storms? Oh, that's a good question, Bill, you know, because every year is a little bit different. You know, you kind of go back to Hurricane Ivan, which is probably the last hurricane that really had a huge uh, tornado impact here. So I think when you start mentioning the tornado aspect of it, this being a big, severe weather market, it draws a lot more attention. And then I kind of throw in the, the freshwater flooding because, you know, any of these systems that come in, depending on the speed, of course, could produce uh, up to 20 inches of rain. And, and a lot of people don't realize how much rain that really is. Yeah, and, I, and you got enough uh, uh, sloping terrain there that the, the kind of the four to six inch an hour rain rates of of these bands are one of those slowing down. You can get you can get some awesome flash floods out of that. Yeah, and uh, you know you go right across the state line into southern Middle Tennessee, and the terrain changes even more. You kind of go back to I think it was a couple of years ago with Waverly. Now that wasn't a tropical system. I don't I don't remember recall, but it was basically a stalled out frontal system that 
produced uh, 16 inches of rain or so in uh, just a short period of time. So you get a lot of these people. Uh, the biggest challenge, you know, with the flooding is flooding's not as sexy as, say, the other severe weather aspects. So and then you get people in, in a hurry to get to work and they're. And it's all about the timing. It's like if it's on a weekend, you're going to have a little bit less impact. But if it's a morning when everybody's going to work or they're going home from school, uh, say it's, it's early fall, those kind of things, got to watch out for that. So the, the, I guess that what, what I gathered, just thinking about what you're just saying there, you basically have people uh, 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 for, for hurricane season prepared just to pretty much similar to how you would prepare for your severe weather season because all of the above mm-hmm. – Kind of hazards can occur in either one exactly and uh, the other hazards you know these conferences we have and we discuss these things is the whole aspect of when you lose power a lot of these people you know th- they're in a rush to get out to cut trees down things like that but with with a tropical system and i, I go back to uh, hurricane ivan because we had some responders that were killed by falling trees because they were going out and they were trying to to get things cleared as soon as possible not understanding that this isn't like a thunderstorm. It's not just coming in and 30 minutes later, it's all clear. It, it's a continuation of these strong wind gusts. And then on top of that, you have power outages and you have people bringing generators into their house, into their garages. So I really stress those uh, side impacts, uh, as, not just the actual weather itself. That's good. That, that, as uh, people have been showing us in studies recently, that the, the uh, indirect uh, fatalities are are surpassing in many storms the direct and that's a good thing to get people into uh so uh david uh i i would guess after michael you don't have much problem getting people interested in preparing for hurricanes these days no i mean michael was such a big hit to our area and it was really interesting with michael the the eye wall was so devastating as it moved way inland we had wind gusts in the county south of us over 90 miles per hour in the county east of us we had a wind gust in donaldsonville of 115 miles per hour and this was hours after landfall so uh, like brad was mentioning we have the inland flooding threat here we have the tornado threat here and we have that threat if if it's a strong hurricane that eye wall makes it pretty far inland and uh, the effects are devastating so yeah definitely people here are prepared i think it was kind of a wake-up call ivan in 04 was a big storm for this area um you know opal back in the mid 90s but Michael recently kind of reminded everyone and the people that are new to the area too, kind of gave them a little spike into the power of a hurricane. So yeah, the last few years here, it's been really easy to get people to prep from, um, you know, an actual prepping standpoint from supplies to, uh, you know, getting their houses ready as well uh, for the impacts. And, and the city crews, too, what I've noticed a lot in recent years is they've done a good job in trimming the trees around power lines, you know, just on a, on an annual basis to make sure they can kind of limit the uh, the potential for power outages as well. Yeah, that's good. I see a lot, a lot of places that don't do that. And uh, one of the challenges over here. Uh, in, a, in, a, in the flooding vein is keeping the drainage system cleared out of brush. That's a, it's a never-ending task, and it grows fast in the growing season. So, so I've, after Harvey, I've seen a lot more people doing that because that was identified as as part of the problem of the flooding of houses away from even the creeks, just the drainage system. Um, yeah. and, and Brad was mentioning too, and you've seen it there in, in the Houston area, Bill. The amount of rain that can fall with even a, a tropical storm is just, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you get 20, 30-plus inches of rain over uh, you know, a couple-day span, and, and places that have never flooded before, before will flood uh, with an event like that. And I think that's really, the from a messaging standpoint, the hard thing to convey to people because everyone wants to put weather history in the you know the frame of their lifetime like i've never seen it i've lived here for 40 years well you've really never seen the possibilities that are that are available so um, the inland flooding threat is i mean it's, it's so important to try to stress that to people if you live anywhere remotely low i mean you've got to be aware that that flooding could be a, a problem with the next storm that comes in yeah i i find it uh, we have so much flooding over here it's the uh, there's so the the issue really is all the new people moving in. There's uh, 
I think since Harvey, there's been probably 400,000 new residents in Southeast Texas. And since I go a million and a half. And you don't know whether they have hurricane experience or not, but I would take the assumption if I was a emergency manager is they don't. And you have to, you you can never go past the basics. You have to do that every year uh, or you're going to lose people on, especially the the subtleties that too many people think, oh, it's just a tropical storm. Well, there's no such thing. And uh, in fact, every one of I've, I've, experienced or been a forecaster for four uh, five 40 inch or greater tropical rain events and uh, the only one that was caused by a, a hurricane was harvey and all that rain fell after it had uh, uh, gone down the tropical storm strength uh, it's it's just a function of how slow they're moving and then trying to convince people of that part of the problem uh I want to shift gears a little bit here. One of the things that uh, 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 that, uh, Tim and Alex and I uh, would like to uh, start looking at now that we've got 10 years or so of doing this under our belt is uh, is uh, uh, see what see what works and doesn't work. And and you guys are a perfect uh, sounding board for some of it because you've been involved with us uh, through most of this uh, time frame. So. so, Brad, what, uh, in 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 your way of looking at it uh, for the the conference down on South Padre, uh, what uh, what are some of the best aspects that you that you take away from what we provide? I think the, the presenters, some of the best aspects of it. I really like the introduction of the student session that you guys started this year, which which uh, broadens the horizon, so to speak, of some of the uh, the younger generation coming in. I love the fact that we can do a live broadcast from there. I think my station appreciates that. That It's not because I'll go to several conferences, and this is one of two of the conferences I go to that you do live shots. So that way I'm still working. They can see I'm still working. Of course, I enjoy the, the location as well. Uh, but I think everybody gets a little bit out of it. I like the uh, the fact that we get uh, the the first forecast from Dr. Klotzbach uh, from Colorado State, and I, I overall I think you guys are doing a bang up job. Yeah, awesome. Uh, can you think of any areas that we uh, might need to strengthen or, or or add to to the mix that we've got? Um, I I think maybe you could do more of a severe weather aspect on on some of these the rain bands that come in um why some of these uh tropical systems will produce a lot more of these ef2 ef3 type tornadoes whereas uh, some of them will only do like a quick ef0 ef1 i think that would be a a real aspect for people that are farther inland like me i think that may draw a little bit more uh, attention to that okay i think i can find some people to study that that would love to come to south padre (laughs) there you go uh, David, uh, your thoughts on what works uh, best for you when you come to our conference? I echo everything Brad said, and of course the hospitality room, Tim. I mean, that's um, <laughs> Jenga. <laughs> Let's be honest, Jenga has got to be right up there because that social aspect I think is is so enjoyable to be able to see friends in the industry, to connect once a year, and it goes beyond just the friendships, but it's an opportunity for us to talk about what we do in different markets around the country from texas all the way up the eastern seaboard so it's something that we're not doing that another market is doing we can learn from them and implement some of those different ideas into our home markets as we go through the hurricane season uh that really is is cool the sharing of information between others in the industry of course learning from the different presenters uh, is huge as well Um, location is great the live shots great the opportunity to record interviews and send that or take that home with you or have it you know sent to you uh, via the internet to put towards a hurricane special or just sound bites to use during the hurricane season Uh, the aspect uh, of collecting that information is is good uh, from a value standpoint if you think about what the station is sending us to do and what they're getting in return so uh, that's fantastic Um, i mean you all have done a really good job with the conference for sure that's that's good to hear because i've always thought the same thing I hate to be the uh, the one that gets hit with a storm because sometimes that's when you first learn what you need to do. And that's why I try to bring those folks in the next year to our conference, because while it's fresh in their mind, uh, those of you that haven't had an impact uh, maybe can learn that and not have to go through the same struggles they went through, because there's always things that don't work when 
when a storm comes in. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of the process is learning too. Uh, I mean, it's hard when you learn it yourself, when you have to go through the event and then you realize what didn't work. It is a little bit easier if you can, you know, you hate to say it, but you know, you know Brad went through something and, and he saw the struggles. Now I can learn from his struggles without having to go through those struggles myself. Uh, I want to the- piggyback on that. One thing I really learned this year was I didn't know these manhole covers floated during these, uh, the surges. I was like, Wow, I can imagine these people walking around in flood water and falling into a manhole. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Uh Mark, I'm gonna bring you into the into the conversation here. Uh you've been attending, I think you were at our first one and have been at most of them over the years. Uh uh, what do you got to add to our critiquing? I like the fact that it's in South Padre. Nothing against Orlando or Vegas, but it kind of, I don't want to say traps us there, but I, I like that because we're at that small hotel. It's not a giant resort with 50 other conferences going on and the intimacy of it that we can all talk with each other in, as colleagues and people can get to know some of these sort of superstars of, you know, like the Hurricane Center forecasters, like one-on-one, you know, there, there's this very interesting camaraderie that has come out of that and networking starts to develop because of that. And I like the variety of the different speakers that, I mean, it's great for me to be able to present. I certainly appreciate that. It's always an honor to do so, but I like to watch and learn from people that we might not have otherwise heard from. There was one year where, and even people from that region down there, there was somebody that was an expert about sea turtles and how they deal with strandings after hurricanes. You know, there was a, a time when um, Josh Warman and um, Karen Kosiba, or however you say her last name, the severe weather, you know, the Doppler on wheels team, they were there talking about, and that's a little different. That's not your typical lineup. And I really like that part of it. It's of course the conference is geared towards broadcast meteorologists and with the sort of, uh, social media and TV, not what it used to be. A lot of people unplugging their cable and we're watching on demand now. There's more of a need to keep that cohesiveness there that, I mean, look, this is on YouTube, this is on Twitter. And so broadcast is different. And I think that the conference has evolved around that. You and Alex and what you've done with the multimedia side of it is incredible. So it's just improved as far as I've can, been concerned. Love it. Yeah, it's a it, it's a fast changing profession. So it's yeah. like uh, 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 it it uh, one of the things I try to do is find somebody doing cutting edge research that might have an application that uh, we will all be using down the road and presenting it to you, so you guys can start following up on it. That's, yes, that's important. Agreed. I'm not no, Bill. I think it'd be cool if you could find someone. I'm not sure who that person is, but uh, maybe a a critique or an overview of model performance from the previous year, you know, which computer model did the best, uh, which models struggled, which models, you know, was it good with the track and not with the intensity, uh, but maybe someone who's really honed into the model performance would be interesting to see how they perform with the, you know, various tropical systems that we see. Okay. I can, uh, uh, they actually do verification of that at the hurricane center. So the verification person, uh, I'll, I'll contact him and see if he's the right person to do for that, or he'll give me a, uh, maybe somebody at, uh, uh, up at EMC that, that uh, focuses on the tropical aspect. Uh, they're maybe just looking at their models. The hurricane center is unique in that they're uh, in that regard is that they're using all these models. So they are, uh, to some extent critiquing them, maybe not under the hood. What's, what's causing that or whatnot, but that would be a good, good subject. Okay. I think guys, probably the, the most exciting part of the conference is the uh, Jenga competition in the <laughs> suite. <laughs> we'll watch, watching those guys do that. And, but, you know, and David and Brad, I know, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the social aspect of it and the, the Saturday morning fishing trip goes a long way, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. I'm still working on that fishing YouTube video. <laughs> Yeah, the fishing there, if if you don't know, is really, really good. Laguna Madre and Brad and I have gone out several times and 
speckled trout to redfish. Um, you know, the water is pretty smooth most of the time, really easy to get, you know, different areas and buzz around. And it's just a, that time of year too is such a great time of year to be on the water. So that's always one of the highlights of the trip too. And that's, what's cool about this trip is you have a little, little time where you can find some things to do on your own. Yeah. Now you got me distracted. Do you, do you guys wade fish or do you go on a, get a boat when you're down there? We have done both. We've done both. Um, wade fishing was quite an experience. Uh, we just, he just, uh, the guide, like just jump out of the boat and we, away we went and we limited out real quick. Yeah. That's, that's been my experiences. That's probably the most fun way to do that. Yeah. I don't know. You got to watch out for stingray. Yeah, or if you if you land a stray bull shark or something, now yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all part of the adventure, right? You don't think about that. No, you lost me. on the fishing. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out of the food chain. Well, we we when I was stationed in Kingsville, uh, the search and rescue helicopter pilots that part of their training would fly over the northern end of the Laguna there in Baffin Bay. Uh, they find where the fish is cheating. They'd see where the fish are. And as soon as they were done with the day, hooked the boat up to the truck and down they went and went right to the spot. <laughs> but they also had lots of pictures. Well, we need to add that next year. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Helicopter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, we get, we get Mark to go up with the drone again and then do there that. There we go. Go out over the bay with the drone. That was, you know, Mark, that was cool. I was over at the Hilton a few years ago when yeah. you had your drone there. Early years. Kind of, of in drone. the early days of drone. Right. And you had the drone up shooting stuff. And, and I, I think it was a selfie cool. out from the balcony of the hospitality room. <laughs> and I think that was cool because you're, you're, you know, that was kind of new technology then. Right. And, and you were showing off what you had. And I thought that was, again, another cool aspect of the conference is you get the opportunity to do that kind of stuff. Agreed. And we went to SpaceX year before last. One of the most incredible things. I mean, that was amazing. And it wasn't, you know, like um, a Kennedy Space Center tour. Don't want to knock it. But like, the, you know, it was it was, you know, the engineer comes walking out. He's like, you know, what's up, everybody? He's not Bob, the tour guide. And that's what he does. He's like working on starship or whatever and he comes over he's got he had like a plaid shirt you remember and he had jeans and he's just got the rough look you know he's not it just wasn't it was that was amazing and and then in the bus ride in and out again you're talking to each other and you're still kind of working but you're also learning about other stuff and that's the economy down there with spacex and the the, the port that to me was fascinating and my degree in geography understanding about all that kind of stuff it just it really hit home and you just don't do that typically at a at another conference and there's nothing against those other conferences it says they're in a big city it's monday through thursday or whatever and then everybody goes home and that's the end of it this is a lot different it's always been that way and i, I didn't do it was when it was in the bahamas but now that you've brought it to the south padre and I look forward to being there next year. And then, of course, as soon as it's over, we got a lickety split to San Antonio and get ready for the eclipse. Oh, that's right. The next week, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I think too. Okay. You know, and Mark, you bring up a good point, guys. That that you know, going back to the first conference when we were at the, the Eastland Grand on the south end of the island, I think we had uh, thirty speakers and twenty listeners. Um, but there are always 50 people there because the speakers stay and listen to the other speakers. Right. And that still continues today. Um, you know, the 125 people in the room, you know, 30 of which are speakers, but they stay to listen to the other speakers. And you sit at the table with the listeners, if you will. And and it really gives you an opportunity throughout the conference to, to really mingle like you're talking about. Yes. Of course, what Tim isn't saying there is that he's got some of his staff out there with uh, – uh, with huge wooden bars they're putting over the exit door so that you have to stay that there. would be illegal <laughs> that's true that's and not to mention that we have our, our own craft beer made just for the conference but that's a whole different thing it is uh actually listening to some of this talk another idea popped in my mind i i see a lot of uh, uh drone video after a tornado uh I see this as a, a it's so overwhelming to, to assess the damage after a hurricane because it is covered such a large area by comparison. Uh, maybe find a uh, maybe I can find a, a, a speaker whose whose business is going in and assessing via drone 
the damage aspects. Think that'd be something of interest to everybody. Exactly. Oh yeah, Brandon yeah. Clement. Brandon Clement. I can get you in touch with him from um, Twitter, etc. His is some of the most incredible. Um, he works with LSM Live Storms Media. Brett Adair works with them too. Um, Brandon Clement is one of the best drone guys out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think I think that's a much needed thing. Uh, the challenge is, you know, you have all you have roughly three or four stations in a market, but a lot of these TV stations are really reluctant to get out and shoot drone video, and a lot of it's due to the fact they don't have the manpower to get out there and shoot it right after. And, and it's the same with flooding. I'm 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 always saying, you know, the best video you're going to get of flooding is from a drone. Uh, since everybody used to have a helicopter and they just, you know, from then on, they just start cutting costs and they just keep cutting costs and it, it's really hard. So I think if somebody could develop some kind of network that they'd come to your town the next day and do that, that'd be great. So, yeah. you know, Harvey, um, not to toot my horn, but in, that's five years, six years ago now, right? That uh, I remember I had like the DJI 2 and I put it up several times. I was at the uh, the hotel there at... um um near katie uh, on the very far end of the attics dam and the water was coming up and it was all flooding back there off of uh maids creek and whatnot and i put the drone up a few times and i mean it was remarkable to be able to see that and uh, just how much that has changed you know photojournalism um that would be a great uh, addition to the agenda next year um, and somebody other than me, Brandon Clement, would be great. So second that. <laughs> Send me the contact info. Sure. And I'll do it, Bill. We'll see what we can do. Yep. Great. I'd like uh, to see that video too, Mark, just because that's where my daughter lived, and I rescued her from the floodwaters hmm. right at the base of the dam there. So I'd like to see that sometime. Yeah. I'll send it your way. Yeah, I got a couple of still shots where you remember you parked in my driveway, Mark, one time doing an interview. You would have flooded your uh, vehicle out if you hurry. It didn't quite get in the house, but <laughs> if people next in the street got their, their cars ruined by it uh, in there, not anywhere near a creek. It's pretty amazing. Uh, real quickly, uh, 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 any thoughts from you guys on uh, how we're doing and what, what direction we're going with the uh, – with the weekly uh, online version, totally different uh, process, of course, than the conference. Brad, do you got any thoughts? I I got to say, I see it in my newsfeed occasionally, but a lot of times I'm just busy working and I, I don't actually log on and watch it. That I mean, to be honest, there I don't I don't I don't watch it frequently. I'd be the same with Brad. Um, you know, I, I know it's there. I don't always check it out. Uh, I think as the season gets a little bit deeper and we start seeing some more, um, you know, storms forming and some more impacts, um, you know, for me personally, that's I get a little more honed in, I guess, I'm like the average Joe, who's just, a, uh, you know, things. and as the season kind of matures, that's my, my, my focus kind of sharpens. Tim, Bill, we got, we got a couple of comments coming in just from online. I'll share those, and we can, uh, you know, I can probably address them as well as anybody. Uh, I'm asking if the student conference can be held at the Marriott as opposed to across the street. There are some logistical issues there. That's um, possible, but as the student conference grows, the Marriott probably won't have room for it. Um, this year it was small, but we hope in, in the years to come uh, it will grow quite large, and the convention center, which is right across the street, does have the space for that. Uh, and, and along with that, there's questions, can we stream that? Um, and I think perhaps it could be. Um, that's something we'll look at in, in the future years. The student conference this year was held the day before the rest of the conference. Um, and we're looking at the logistics of that, whether it be the day before or the day after. Uh, but the great thing about it is some of our greatest, best speakers were able to speak to the high school students. And that's that's really cool. Um, that really makes a difference. So, uh, yeah, but we'll definitely look at the ability to stream that uh, as well and also there's a request to stream the uh the stream or record the award ceremony uh, we don't typically do that but but it's not a bad idea so that's something we can look at as well so good suggestions we appreciate that and also mark casper says that uh, these national tropical weather conference presentations are directly responsible for him being a supporter of your hurricane track project he said yeah. who knows how long it would have been had it not been for this for him to support you and i hope that you're seeing that regularly Yes, and I mean, and that's that's going back to 
the power of social media and the reach of this and you know being able to get out of the box of a conference room and then we do this and it was a great thing to kind of come out of the pandemic this was you know part of that we had to and look at where it's gone since and um we can reach a lot more people over time and then these are archived they're sitting around forever you know for people to go back and watch and it's a good thing you know there's um it's always good to put in that effort that's the that's a big mantra of what i do you know that, that even for a little tropical storm yes i'm going to go to it because it's always worth the effort and this effort is is meaningful to people even if it's just a small group of people it does matter well, we appreciate that and, and there's you know and a lot of people do do the download of the podcast as well listen to right. it after the fact and, and that's all important and and you reach who you reach and as long as you're reaching people right. in preparedness season i think that's really important so so we appreciate you guys being such a big part of it from the from the very beginning uh bill let's do the sponsor break and thank all the sponsors who are part of this then we'll kind of move on to the second half of the program and want david and brad to stick around and listen to mark and ask questions of mark as well this is your opportunity to to, to chime in and be part of our panel. I want to thank USAA. You know what? We started doing things for students. Uh, Alex and I have been doing things for students and kids for a long time, and USAA has been part of that. Um, they've jumped in and, and, and helped with that. And when we trans transitioned over to the National Tropical Weather Conference, they came with us and said, yes, we want to be part of that as well. They saw the importance of it and and really been part of it from the beginning. And they always provide people uh, for interviews during the conference. If you need to talk to somebody in the insurance industry. Uh, so we appreciate that more than you know. So thanks to USAA. South Pottery Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, they too. Uh, really enjoy being part of the program. Uh, of course, the mayor or city manager always comes to do the welcome on the first morning and tell us a little bit about South Padre Island. And they encourage the live shots on the beach. They like that as, as they would and they should because the beach is so pretty. Um, and thanks to South Padre Island and the Convention and Visitors Bureau for being supporters of the National Tropical Weather Conference all along. We appreciate that. The weather company, uh, many years they come, they set up their their Max computers and, and do everything they can do so we can see what's new in, in the Max world for the television broadcasters we appreciate them for all they do. And Weatherboy really adding a new dimension um, with, with the college student scholarship, basically. Uh, the last couple of years, we've, uh, Weatherboy, courtesy of Weatherboy, we've been able to provide basically full-ride scholarships to come to this conference for three meteorology students anywhere in the continental U.S. or Hawaii to come to the conference. All expenses paid, uh, airfare, hotel, meals, everything covered by Weatherboy. We appreciate what Weatherboy does and and Michael and everybody over there for making making that a possibility. So thanks to our sponsors, a big part of what we do. All right, Bill, you've got a big tropical update for us. Then we'll get on to the second half of the program. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, doing it, doing it. You guys know we don't have a lot going on. I do this mostly to remind myself that we this is part of what we do, and we do these weekly shows right. once things get active, and uh, and it gets me gets the rust off of what I talk about. So uh, so Mark, uh, it's your turn to to pester you with some questions there. Uh, uh, we didn't have you at uh, the conference this year. You were preoccupied with your other parts of your job. So, uh, uh, so what's been happening with your work and uh, and anything new in the works to look forward to this season? The um, Yeah, I had to miss this year. It was actually family vacation time. The, the two weeks lined up perfectly that I couldn't couldn't pass it up. And we went on a cruise and... Um, you know, did a little research down there, looking at some hurricane stuff. So I don't think the IRS though, is going to let me write off a, a Royal Caribbean cruise because I talked to a few people about hurricanes. But, um, you know, you got to balance the family and the work stuff, especially that I've gotten busier. Um, my partnership with Fox Weather has allowed me to do more. The Patreon support, you know, the crowdfunding allowed me to do more. I went to California in January to cover those atmospheric river events. First time ever and no indictment against california but somebody tried to steal one of those boxes off of a bridge that we had it was a, a homeless woman um tried to take the box it was looking at the pajaro river and um it had come it was a getting ready to go over the banks and it did a few weeks later uh, fox weathers max gordon covered that extensively but before it went over this this homeless woman tried to steal it and it's chained up and everything of course she couldn't figure it out and, you know, I felt bad for her. Look, these are humans. And even though she's trying to steal it, she's needing something for money, clearly. And it was just kind of this weird, like, I'm in California. Look at what's going on here. Um, I went up to the Sierras and, and documented the big time snow they had. 
And that's how I started the year. And then um, I've been up to Massachusetts to cover uh, like the only big nor'easter they had. And that was in March. Everything's just been really strange. Uh, Even last hurricane season, going back to Ian, we had basically nothing, nothing, nothing. And then it was Super Bowl time. You know what I mean? It was very odd. And um, that carried over. Um, And and then some severe weather that I've uh, gone out to the plains for. And the big part of that is, you know, we always try to test. You're talking about getting the rust off. You know, yes, I am a weather nerd. I love seeing active weather. It's it's very interesting. Don't know why. Don't know where it came from, but it's just part of me. But I like to test stuff and just keep practicing during these other events, new technology. Our camera boxes are smaller than ever now, literally the size of a lunchbox, even smaller than that one behind me. And they run for 80 hours, you know, and we've always, we've had that the last few years, but to be able to get them small enough that I can airline five or six of them, or we can build 20 of them and put them out and, you know, they're tiny now. We've got to test them. You know, I can test them in my backyard or my office here all day long, but it's more fun to go out in the field. And so that's what we've been doing. And most recently, a couple of weeks ago when I was out in the plains, Clovis, New Mexico, by the way, was the hot spot recently. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. Clovis was trending because there were so many storm chasers in Clovis over and over again on this last round that we had that when we went to um, dinner one night, the locals were literally asking us. We had our hurricane track shirts, and they were like, why are all these storm chasers in Clovis? And we were like, it's just the pattern. And they were like a little concerned. Stay when you want to do the high plains of eastern New Mexico. We'll be going through there in, in two weeks. I, I'm a member of the high pressure chase team. There you go. That's perfect. They'll they'll appreciate that. Um, and then we were over at a town called Melrose on the way over to. Um, we were trying to get west, and uh, a whole bunch of chasers had stopped at an Allsup's. And uh, including a lot of the NSSL people. I mean, it looked like they were filming a movie. And they are. They're filming Twisters or Twister 2, whatever it's called out there somewhere. Um, But they had the different Doppler trucks and all these scientists and tour groups and individual chasers. And and the lady inside, this one lady inside was just, she thought that, like, you know, should I be, like, getting autographs from people or should I be worried? I said, no, you don't need to be worried unless nobody leaves. If nobody leaves, then you need to be worried. And everybody left within about 10 minutes. They all scattered because the initiation had took, taken place. But we were out there also to test going back to last year when we went to SpaceX. We uh, got our hands on Starlink and went out to test it. That was a big reason why I wanted to go out there. And I ordered it um, uh, through uh, our crowdfunding partnership with all these different people from around the world less than 700 bucks for the unit and SpaceX sends this gray box and it says Starlink on it. And I shipped it to Weatherford to one of our friends there and purposely waited until we were in Clovis with a supercell in front of us to try it out because I wanted to see how easy it was because that's what I had been reading. And I'm not kidding you within 15 minutes, we had 95 megabits down and 15 up that thing opened up, found the satellites, and we were on. It has a little Wi-Fi deal you set up, and we just plugged it into this little power supply that a friend of ours donated to us for the trip. Unbelievable. Like, this is going to be so huge, especially for monsoon season. What little of it there may or may not be this year, we'll see. Other weather coverage, like big high plains blizzards where there's just nothing out there. Um, and then in the aftermath of a hurricane, you know, it could be very helpful not only for us, but maybe we can, you know, have somebody that needs to call somebody. They can do do so over Starlink using Wi-Fi calling or FaceTime. It could actually help people. Um, but I'm a believer. I was a little skeptical. I read the reviews, and our viewers were like, eh, we have issues, and some were like, it's perfect. It was kind of split. But the two times that CJ and I tested it, it worked great. And uh, that's going to be a, a real help. It's uh stationary we didn't get the one that you put on your vehicle and drive around with it because that's more involved and more expensive um then i'm gonna go back out on friday for a few days it looks like an uptick in severe weather again and um 
you know, just do some coverage for Fox and our 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 group as we await the hurricane season. So I'm gonna take a break and just stop talking for a second. Then we'll talk about what I'm gonna be doing for this season. So we do have some new things we're gonna try. Yeah, that uh, Starlink. See, where where do you set it? Where do you set it up so that you can use it? Um, so it has like a very long cable. I think it's 75 feet to the dish if you will, and it's very small, relatively speaking. So we just set it up. It's got this little stand right next to the truck. In our case, we had a Tacoma that we rented. And um, you got to have it out in the open, and that's easy to do out in the plains. And you power it on, and within a few minutes, it starts finding. It just moves all by itself. And you just, you can put it, we did, we did in the back of the truck, too. It's just got to have a clear view of the sky. And oh, okay, app, so you can take it with you. It just doesn't yes. work while you're driving. Okay. Right, right. So ours is called the roaming plan. Okay. Because you can have residential, you know, say, hey, I want Starlink to be my internet. And, you know, not AT&T or Spectrum or whomever. And so uh, you would have that set up and you have a cell or whatever. And you actually have higher priority bandwidth if you're residential roaming and the in motion are deprioritized but even deprioritized i'll take 95 megs down and 15 up and not be a priority that's fine with me but yes bill that's right you can just set it up wherever you go because i'm on the roaming plan some of the chasers do have the um in motion version now this one will work in motion you just you're not going to drive down the highway at 50 70 miles an hour with this dish thing in the back, that's not going to be too good. But we drove about 20 miles per hour down this country road and it stayed connected. You know, like if we ever wanted to parallel a slow moving supercell, it could probably be done, um, but it's not ideal. And it's mainly meant to set up, get some data, upload something, and then move to the next thing that we have to do forever without LTE. And like I said, we would use it in the aftermath of a hurricane. But you know, usually you can just drive an hour and get out of what we call the blast zone and find um, some kind of technology that's still up. But if not, we'll have Starlink. Well, you guys appreciate, you know, I know, uh, Brad and David, you guys would too, that like when we did the the, the SpaceX launch, the super heavy when it launched, um, you're trying to use your, your other live units. And there's so many people there. On the cell phone streaming, that you, you you lose your signal and you can't do it. And all of our live units were unavailable, but we had a Starlink and everything was done through through Starlink. And wow. we got using Starlink, um, and and we had one at the conference as well. Um, but but yeah, the Starlink made it so we could have a signal when nobody else did, um, and we could be live all the way through with no problem. Uh, so it provided the internet connection. I think it's 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 an important piece. And and Mark, you're seeing that, and I think we're seeing it too. So it's it's good for broadcasters yep. as well. And it's just getting started, really. If you think about it, we're still at the beginning. Eventually, it's going to become um, affordable and better and faster, and, and it's you know open up some possibilities to areas that. Um, need it for education and you know what what elon has done you know controversy notwithstanding donating the stuff to ukraine it's been needed over there and you know helping with scientists in remote parts of the world the day has come i've dreamed of being able to have affordable satellite and it's easy to ship that thing i can airline it in a little husky uh thing from a from a home depot I almost called it hd yes anyway um and uh easy to airline it no big deal you know yeah that's gonna be that's a that's gonna be great for rural areas our place in new mexico was yes the, you can get through the phone company a bit of a dial-up but it's totally useless if you want any kind of data feeds on there and uh i can get look a into it bill maybe maybe the guys down there you know this guy over here he can get you a discount maybe through right come on tim go over to SpaceX, <laughs> just ask them. No, nah, it, it's worth every. It's one hundred and fifty dollars a month for the, and you can pause it. You know, hey, I don't want to pay one hundred and fifty dollars for the next three months. Nothing's happening or whatever. Just turn it off. Elon says you're going to make it happen. Hang on. Right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, what's new for hurricane season? So, we've done pretty well with the remote cams. I think that speaks for itself. Um, Always going to have challenges, you know, and the hurricanes are going to 
make things challenging. And you know, we've learned that too, but the wind data uh, that's lacking. And um, we get good pressure data and, and so does uh, uh, other people like Morgerman, Josh Morgerman does great pressure data and he does those presentations even when he goes international and pressure is a lot easier. You know, we can use a little drop sensor or uh, from Kestrel or a higher end uh, barometer, whatever the case may be. But, and Bill, you know this, and anybody in the weather business knows that wind data is difficult because it, it must be accurate. You have to cite the equipment properly and you don't want just spot readings. You want a good digital log, if you can, of the entire event. And I've been working on it since the very beginning of my career, even when I had vehicle-mounted anemometers. We don't do that anymore because we have all this remote equipment. Um, Ian was a, a big um, wake-up call um, that we had a couple of uh, weather stations mounted on bridges. And I want to try to do a screen share, if I may, real quick. I just want to show you what that looks like. And let's see, we'll share the whole screen. Yes, that will work fine. Thank you. So here's a video. This is uh, the Midpoint Bridge. Let's mute that audio. Uh, that's the Caloosahatchee back there. That's what the weather station looked like on the bridge there. Um, and we were really excited thinking, oh, wow, we're going to really record some tremendous wind data. Uh, we were trying to stream it live off the uh, the computer that's in there, little Raspberry Pi, in, uh, in one-second increments. And uh, then have one-minute average and, and your peak gusts for that minute. And it failed for a lot of reasons. Um, just too much happening. Our server got overloaded. And I was like, all right, you know, this is going to be my next thing to really, really focus on. The camera systems got that as, I think, as good as we we're going to get it until, you know, they're literally this big and those run for 80 hours so we could put 100 of them out there. I think there's a Tom Hanks movie called Circle or something where he had these little cameras you could put everywhere. Anyway, um, until that happens, you know, the cameras are good, but the wind data, that's my next challenge. I want really solid wind data. And so we've been working on that. Um, we're going to go back to doing one minute instead of the real time because it's just easier on our server. And that's what the Hurricane Center stuff's being reported. You know, the advisories is, you know, one minute average and, you know, the peak gust for that minute. And then we have these, you know, all the data will be stored on the Raspberry Pi for later analysis. And we've done well with that in the past, but I just want to put more emphasis on wind data. And uh, we have four of those weather stations. And by the way, I want to keep bragging about it. They're all donated by our crowdfunding partners. And, you know, that's huge. And so we have four of them. And we've got these little devices that the DOT uses to put signs on jersey walls. That was that orange thing. And we just retrofitted. There was a gentleman in Florida that welded the mast on for us. And so we can cite them. I mean, come on, there's no better sighting than a bridge, typically <laughs> wide open. It's definitely higher than 10 meters in most cases. Probably um, gets you out of most of the uh, flying debris since right. it's so water. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot terrific of exposure. Um, but we just got to get the data side, the collection side to work properly. And, um, uh, and then the transmission, you know, want to be, people want to see it. We've, we've developed an interface where you can watch it in, um, in real time, you know, so it'll update every minute. And like I said, we've been doing it since 04, but I want to perfect it. There's a difference between doing something and getting it perfect, or at least close to perfect as we can. So a lot of emphasis has been placed on that in this offseason. And in fact, on July 1st, my programmer slash best friend since childhood, the gentleman up in Raleigh, he's going to come down and we're going to continue to work on it in my garage. And um, the idea would be to put four weather stations out and at least get one or two of them in that right front quadrant, if not the core. But some areas are really difficult. You know, you think about Michael, um, University of Florida had their wind towers out there and they had one in the right front quadrant down at a, a things like a, a, a Memorial park or something like that in Mexico beach. Um, and it did pretty good. I think it got 120 something mile per hour peak gust. Dr. Forrest masters would be able to tell us, but he's not here, but Hey, I'm sure he knows. But then he had another one on the Western side of Mexico beach, anywhere the eye went over and the wind blew it over. 
know, because we came across it that night trying to get back to Mexico Beach. So even the well-funded universities, they'll tell you this stuff is hard. And I got a good friend, an engineer here in Wilmington. They were working with some people last year and the, the propeller blades get messed up. And like, it is harder than people think to capture reliable wind data. And I want to try to change that. I don't think I'll be like, you know, known as the guy that changed it forever, but I want to at least put more effort into it. I think mapping that data on that note, Mark, would be so eye-opening for people to see. Because I think from a from a broadcast standpoint, it's hard to tell people how much more powerful an eye wall is compared to the fringes of a hurricane. Everyone thinks they've gone through multiple hurricanes, right. and they have. But unless you go through that eye wall, you really don't understand the power of that eye wall of a hurricane. So if you were able to get that that high resolution data and map it where people can see, wow, two miles away, the wind was 40 miles per hour greater than where I was. I mean, I think that'd be just incredible data to really open up people's eyes. Agreed. And we have that on our interactive map on our site, on our insider site is our crowdfunded. I wish everything could be free. We know we talk about this, but it can't or it would crash. And that's how we fund what we do. So our I hate that word paywall, but on our insider site, our member site, we've developed this map. This uh, gentleman in the UK built it for us, coded it up, and that's exactly what it has. You'll see, you know, the two icons, and you can just click on them, and you, and you actually see the video too from the camera that's looking at the weather station. And we thought we had it for Ian. I was so excited. I was in Orlando, and it was just failing. It was like the whole website was getting dragged down because there's like stuff happening these processes on the computer and in the server and it was just like oh my so i literally had to remote into the raspberry pies and sh and shut them off you know how painful that was it's like because the whole site could have gone down so you live and learn and and you know uh, not at all comparing myself to mr musk but look he publicly blew up a giant rocket to test hmm. and i'm not joking i mean you have to fail sometimes whoever said failure is not an option they don't do weather <laughs> because <laughs> failure is absolutely an option and it's the best way to learn if you don't fail you never move forward you know you don't want to be inept and you know a clown out there and and we don't do that but yeah sometimes we lose and it helps you hey mark i'm just kind of thinking off the cuff here have you ever thought of maybe partnering with an airline or something and strapping one of these on to an airplane then that would be the ultimate test on, on everything. You can see where the failure point is, or, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of a, a wild thought I just had. Or even, I mean, for, you know, getting out um, at a private airfield, we know enough people on social media, just get behind a plane that could do, and, and then I know there's, there's the wind tunnels and um, those um, are hard to schedule. There's a lot of science that goes on. You have to schedule them and there's grants and people yeah. that access way before we would. Um because you're right. You're right, Brad. It's like, you know, testing it on a regular day. You know, okay, it's 15 miles per hour, and the average mm -hmm. minute was 12, and whoop-de-doo. Right. You know, what about 130, 150, and it's hard. Um, we'll have to yeah. You know, maybe drive to Raleigh and put one in the back of my Tacoma. And I think the speed limit is 70. I know a couple of people in State Highway Patrol, maybe they can give me about a two-mile area where I can put that Tacoma to 120. Yeah, you go to Montana. That's it. That's, that's There you go. Road trip to Montana. Speed limits. There's some unlimited areas out there, basically. It will be from an engineering standpoint, too, Mark. I'll think of your video from Mexico Beach and when, when the roof of two cans lifted right. off. You know, at what wind gust speed was this where that roof, you know, right. went up? I mean, that'd be interesting from a... But Mexico Beach is an interesting case study... You know, I think back to that, where would we have put something? There was, you'd have to bring a tower out like what University of Florida did, uh, Dr. Masters, and we don't have those. We we, we abandoned that idea because it was too cumbersome. I mean, they, they have a crew and it's a truck and like, my goodness. Um, and there's just going to be areas like Mexico Beach where there's just nowhere to really put anything. So I've all, often wondered, man, could we ever do anything with the video using photogrammetry and I've talked to my engineering friend, Dr. It's Dr. Ryan Maris here in UNC Wilmington. Um, and it's 
Yeah, I thought it was real simple. Just look at the video and come up with an algorithm that that piece of debris is moving X miles per hour. It's like, no, it's not that simple. You have to have targeting things and multiple cameras. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on. Like, imagine if we could look at video and get speeds out of video using photogrammetry, all the tornado chasers that have captured high moving, high, freq- uh, high velocity debris. Maybe that's something somebody can come up with. And it is as simple as a 2D shot from a high res digital camera in 4K. I don't know. You know, there's there's got to be people brilliant enough that could figure that out. And we could just do away with anemometers, just do everything with video, even raindrops. Like basically a video version of the step frequency microwave radiometer. Seriously. Is it, you know, maybe that's 20 years down the road, I don't know. Cuz anemometers tend to get beat up. It's so frustrating. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, well, they yeah, you the, to get rigor, you have to sometimes sacrifice precision and accuracy. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But I want it. I want the precision and the accuracy, and I guess exclusive. Uh, yeah, you have to. I think a compromise in there would work better if, for for what you're looking at, and uh, and using other remote sensing to maybe find finer details, like via radar or the. Sure. Well, one day I'm going to work with Dr. Maris on his idea of how we could use multiple cameras and some kind of visual targets. Uh, Cause he's brilliant. Just this engineer, like, like, wow. I mean, and, and teach me what he's thinking. You know um, he's working a lot on wave models and stuff at UNC Wilmington. Um, so he's very busy with that, but I think photogrammetry could play a role, especially as we get to 4k and higher resolution. And especially too, this is a part of the reason I, I like to go out to the plains um, using video in tornadoes to understand wind speeds at, at the ground level and some of the drone video too that like Brandon captures and this gentleman Brian M. Finger, yeah. Um, yeah. some of that's in 4K and you might be able to do something with it. I just, I, it, it, I find it difficult to believe that we can't do something with video to start extracting wind data or velocity data out of it when we look at debris because, you know, David, as you talked about that video from Mexico Beach, there's so much in it where debris is going by and the wind speed is right there. We just don't know how to extract it. That's yeah, got me curious. I'll ping on Tim Marshall, see what he knows about. Yeah, he's he's not doing anything. <laughs> his trips to Antarctica or whatever, and Tornado yeah. Alley every day. I rubbed it in on him for months that he paid good money to got, do what I got paid to do was spend a lot of time in Iceland. <laughs> right. No, um, yeah, well, Tim would be a good resource. Sure, there's got to be something there. I can't believe we've hit the eleven o'clock hour. I, I was. That's good. Cranked up there. Any uh, any final thoughts from uh, from uh, Brad or David before we uh, turn it back to Tim and Alex to wrap it up? I think going back to the conference, I think you guys are doing great from where it was, you know, towards the beginning. I think my first year was year two, I think, or year three of the conference. And and uh, you guys have done a phenomenal job. And, and this outreach to the Internet during the, uh, the uh, you know, time between the conferences is is good as well. So uh, keep on keeping on. Agreed. Yeah. Um, again, great conference. Keep it up. Um, I just want to interject, you know, you actually do something for the wives and I, I appreciate that. And I'm sure the wives, I, I can only imagine what those conversations are like. They haven't, they haven't been shared with me, but I think it's going to be an interesting season. I think we're going to probably see a real distinct change from the overall Atlantic to the Gulf of Mexico. Now, based on what we were talking about, you know, you go back and I think a lot of people think it's El Nino and uh, we're going to have fewer hurricanes, but I think it was uh Bill, I think you had the graphic that was talking about the Gulf is actually active sometimes during these El Nino. And one that really kind of struck out to me was the Hurricane Camille back in 1969. Yeah, the eastern the eastern Gulf uh, and, and the origin of those storms, they really didn't get going until they got out of the Caribbean. And my guess is they got out from under the worst of the shears, what was happening and if i had more energy i'd go back and dig up the reanalysis maps of it but <laughs> it's something else uh and one last thing for mark uh you 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 were wondering what gives you that spark that makes you want to go out and stare at the weather and my father referred to that in watching me do that as the defective gene 
right. I guess. <laughs> on that note, we'll have that. So on that note, I'll turn it over to Tim to wrap us up. Gentlemen, thank you. Great program today, Bill. Thank you very much. Brad, David, Mark, good program. Time really did go fast today, and we appreciate that. Thanks for all of your insight in all of this, and, and we look forward to seeing you guys again in person in April, if not before, somewhere down the line. Um, next week, another great program. Warren Fadley is going to be with us next week, along with Jim Cantori. Um, the first question for Jim Cantori is going to be, what's it like to make a 50-foot putt across the lobby of the Marriott Courtyard Hotel into a putting <laughs> device in the hospitality suite? We have pictures uh, just to prove that he did that. Right. <laughs> so uh, but both those guys uh, are going to be on next week, and we really look forward to that program as well. I want to thank our sponsors once again, USAA, the South Padre Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Weather Company, and Weatherboy, all part of what we do here at the National Tropical Weather Conference and NTWC Live. That's it for this week. We'll see you with Warren and Jim next week. Until then, take care. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of NTWC Live Hurricane Center Podcast. If you did, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And join us next week. This is NTWC Live.